All right, here he is, Gus G from Firewind, and of course, uh, previously an Aussie. Gus, what's going on, man? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Hope man. You're doing well. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I uh, appreciate it. There's a brand new Firewind album, Stand United, coming out March 1st. Uh, and of the 10 songs on the record, five have already been released as singles. What is the thought process behind releasing uh, so many singles? I mean, of course, the world that we live in now is critically low attention spans and it's, you know, it is really a singles world. But does that, uh, do you think that diminishes the overall uh, hype of the record on the day of release? I mean, you can look at it both ways, I guess. I, I mean, you, you kind of answered answered it there yourself uh, because of the whole short attention span that people have nowadays. You kind of have to keep throwing uh, singles at them and content the whole time. And I mean, this is the first time that we've tried to do something like this. I'm not going to lie. Usually we've done like two or three singles leading up to the album. This time we've done half the album. Um, I'm not sure if other bands do all that, but uh, but uh, I mean, I think it's it's pretty honest. I mean, <laughs> of sure. us, yeah. like here, here's half of the album. If <laughs> by now for some reason you're not sold on that, then you're probably not going to support the band anyway. So it's like if you like what you're hearing, like you might and and you like the band, you might as well pick up the album when it comes out because. How much more can the rest of it suck? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was listening to the uh, singles yesterday, and uh, I'm excited for the whole thing. I think the singles so far are great. This is also the second album uh, with vocalist uh, Herbie. Is it Langans? Is that how you pronounce his, his uh, last name? Langans. Yep, correct. Langans, yeah. There's been uh, you know quite a few different singers uh, in Firewind uh, over the years. Why is that? I don't know, man. It's uh, it's always why the, the thing that people uh, um, ask me about. It's it's I, I don't know. It, it's always seems to be the the uh, the ongoing question: why all the lineup changes, and out of all the lineup changes, why the singer especially? Um, yeah, good question. I don't know. We went through probably like five singers by now, and I think I'm not gonna lie. I think I think it's it has hurt. Uh, the band's uh, brand a little bit and the, the identity because people, you know, of course I write all the material and, and I'm like the main man and all that stuff and the main face of the band, but the vocalist is the, the voice is what people identify with. So if you lose that, I can, I can understand that it might confuse some people along the way. On the bright side of things, we've had some pretty killer singers. So whatever era of the band you're into, uh, or whatever album you pick up from us, you're definitely going to hear a great singer on an album. Um, now, back to the question, why all these singers? It's It just happens, man. Like uh, It's one of those things where we are a touring band. We are not, um, we are not a, a studio project. I mean, once you get in, once you go into that world, um, you realize that a lot of people are not made for the road or they eventually after a few years, they don't have the same, uh, the same goals as you do. Um, so yeah, you're going to come across like situations where you might have to part ways with certain members. Uh, 
I mean, we're not the only band that has gone through lineup changes. Um, but yeah, I think it has to do with the fact that we're just like a hardworking band. And like we, we tour a lot. We like to tour behind each album we release. Um, and um, also like probably the first couple of singers of the band were because we weren't even, we hadn't even become a touring band. We were kind of like... Uh, like a file exchanging band <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> Basically, it was just people uh, that were helping me to finish the record. So they didn't necessarily going to stick around, you know, on the long term. So we kind of, we're one of the bands that started unorthodox. Not like the, the occasional, like four guys from the, from the neighborhood that crafted their sound and their whole thing in a garage. It was just me basically. And then I would scout guys around the world and, just do records through emails, basically just email files and things like that. In, in a time when it wasn't really common, it wasn't, it was really unusual uh, and with much slower internet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think we kind of, we're, we're kind of band that grew like in, in, in the public eye, so to speak. So our fans got to see us going through multiple lineup changes. Maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah, but there's your long, your long answer right there. <laughs> well, and like you said, I mean, you're the, you're the, the face of the band. So I, I, I would have to imagine that uh, a majority of Firewind fans, I mean, they're really, they're really just there for Gus G mainly. I think they're there to hear the songs. They know that I'm definitely going to be in the band and it's, I'm definitely going to have, uh, a great, a great band with me, no matter what, um, but I think Firewind fans by now they they probably come there to to hear specific songs they they or hopefully their favorite songs or I don't know what they're but but you know we we're a band that by now like twenty plus years into this you know has become a brand so so people have their favorite eras like our fans have their favorite uh, incarnations of the band or favorite albums and favorite songs and. Yeah, I don't think they just come to see me. That, but they know I'm going to be there, and then they sure. know it's going to be a, a good quality show. But um, yeah, I think they come to see the band. So I want to go back uh, to your uh, beginnings for a minute because what I find so fascinating is that you know, of course, you grow up in Greece. You hear guys like Peter Frampton, Aldi Mayola, uh, absolutely floored by it. So your dad gets you a guitar. And eventually you end up coming over here to America to attend Berkeley. I think they even gave you like a, a $5,000 scholarship or something I was reading. But then you end up leaving uh, just a couple of weeks uh, after starting because you find out it's really just not for you uh, to be in school anymore. Which is, uh, you know, I mean. Yes, that is correct. I feel like that's, uh, you know, a, a lot of people's yeah. dreams to go to a, a prestigious school like Berkeley. And then you, you show up there and you're like, hey, you know what? I just don't think this is quite my thing. Yeah, um, you know, it might sound like uh, like the way you put it. Maybe it sounds like I'm what was uh, some kind of a snobby kid. But uh, <laughs> the truth is that the truth is that my family could not could not afford to put me in college for four years, anyways. Um, like you know, my background is working class family, and um, it was really really hard for my parents to to make it happen for me to come over to the states to um 
to be able to to go to Berkeley College, but it was just such an opportunity that I could not miss, you know. And uh, when I came there, I realized that, well, probably I'm not going to be able be able to 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 afford here like a, a the second year. And honestly, I, I was not really. I had already been to a conservatory. I'd already taken a lot of uh, formal. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like um, formal training. Um, so I think right there and then I decided to uh, to save on that money and then just maybe put it into a recording and then just drop out of school and then try to do something or may hopefully meet somebody or join a band. And I think that was a, the, the, the philosophy of it or the mindset behind my decision back then. Um, yeah. So um that's what I did, you know. I think it was halfway through that first semester. I was just like, "Yeah, see you guys." <laughs> and it was while you were here in uh, America that you started uh, Firewind, right? But initially, if I read this right, you really just started it so that you could uh, land a, a record deal as a guitar player, right? So Firewind was just kind of uh, just something, so so you could have something to uh, submit uh, to labels and stuff. Yeah, basically, I was just making my own demos with some friends that I had met at Berkeley, and yeah, like I named it Firewind because I was a big Uli John Roth fan, and I love his album Firewind from Electric Sun. And at that at that time, there was no band; it wasn't a band. It was just me, and I just called it. I called myself Firewind, I guess. <laughs> and uh, and I would just send that to labels and hoping that I would get. Um, some kind of interest from somebody yeah well it was also around that time you became involved uh, with a few other bands like dream evil night rage uh mystic prophecy and then of course eventually uh by 2005 you ended up filling in uh for arch enemy on uh, osfest 2005 how did you get that gig and I, I would imagine that was probably your first taste of doing something you know as big as as uh osfest Yeah, that's correct. Um, I think I had met Michael Amod of Arch Enemy when he when I was in Sweden. That's where we met. He was recording at Studio Fredman, and I was in a band with a studio owner, Frederick. Uh, the band was Dream Evil. Um, so I was there, and uh, I was, you know, I, I was in Sweden, totally broke, and I was just trying to make a buck here and there. And then Frederick would let me uh, clean the studio uh like uh twice a month or something and jesse would give me some pocket money because i was totally broke you know i was like okay what can i do here for you what how, how can i help around so i was in the studio around a lot you know and i and i met a lot of the bands that were going in there to record you know like michael with arch enemy was there or like the inflames guys were like next door like it was in gothenburg you know like late 90s early 2000s so like i got to meet all those guys you know back wow. then yeah. um and it was such an underground scene back then. And, and, and they, I mean, though those bands were just started to explode uh, in a few few years after that. But anyways, I, I had I had my band. Uh, obviously, I started my, my band with, with uh, I started Dream Evil and Frederick. And I think, you know, like I said, just being around there, I met a lot of musicians, a lot of bands that came in. And um, Michael just emailed me out of the blue around, yeah, sometime in 2005. And he said, dude, like, my brother's quitting the band and we got this big tour ahead of us and I need a guitar player. And I was like, yeah, I'm your guy. You know, I wasn't doing much that summer. And I was like, 
yeah, this is going to be, it was my first great like opportunity to, 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 to see how a professional band at that level works because up until then was more, it was all like DIY. You know, we didn't know what we were doing. We had sure we had record deal and, and we were putting out records and doing some tours and gigs, but you know, I didn't know how things worked at a, you know, at the next level, basically. Um, so yeah, that's how I ended up uh, doing the gig with Arch Enemy. I spent the whole summer with the guys. We rehearsed a bit, and then we went off. We went to America for like two months. Well, and the uh, the Ozfest the Ozfest that you did with them that was uh, of course the the uh, the same year as the now infamous uh, battle between Sharon Osbourne and and uh, Iron Maiden. Uh, you know, which of course famously yep. resulted in her having the eggs pelted at, at Maiden while they were playing. What uh, what what do you oh, yeah. what do you recall of that feud? Was there a lot of tension that you were uh, that you would notice you know between the two camps? You know what? We watched Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath sets every night. Me and Michael, like, because we played on the second stage early on, and every evening, like after we were done with everything in the signing sessions, we would just grab a beer and then go watch Maiden and Sabbath. What a summer! And yeah, no kidding. There was one, and then one night we're like, okay, well, let's miss the show tonight. Let's drive. There was like a long drive and there was some day off somewhere. And we're like, okay, let's go and crash somewhere else. And, you know, we'll just, we'll miss the show tonight. You know, we'll just drive. We'll we'll leave early. And the next day we wake up and we're like, it was all over like the news, like the blabbermouth and all those websites, like, Sharon shuts down like the power during our maiden concert and throws eggs. And we're like, what the fuck happened? What did we miss? <laughs> wow. So we missed it. We didn't see any of that. Oh my God. That that's uh Jesus. The one show that you miss and that happens. No kidding. Was that's, it that's the yeah. Yeah, that was the only one. Yeah. It was crazy. Did you see like any tensions between the two camps before that? Or or it was everything pretty uh kept on the DL? Uh, you know, like backstage, you couldn't sense any of that because there were like so many bands sure. parked like backstage and stuff. So um, the only thing that was kind of strange was that I think Bruce Dickinson went out and he was saying like, I think he was trying to provoke the audience a little bit. Like he was saying some things like about Sabbath on some nights on the mic. Like uh, we're not one of those bands that uh, rely on the back I, I catalog that, we yeah. still make our own music <laughs> and, and i think he was saying things like that and i think that's what probably triggered sharon uh, but i don't really know the details of all the technicalities of that yeah. but i remember like when he was saying things like that we were all like like whoa okay <laughs> who, who is that for like who's that <laughs> what does he mean <laughs> man what a thing to have been a part of that's that's insane well black label society was also a part of that same moss fest and while you're while mm -hmm. you're on the road you you read uh, in, in blabbermouth or whatever that uh, Ozzy was looking for a new guitarist, so you go down to the production office, you drop off a CD, but uh, you know ultimately nothing came out of it. And it wasn't even until a few years after that that Zach even left the band, right? He still stayed with Ozzy for a few years after that uh, news came out, though, right? Yeah, I mean, like, they had announced something that summer, like, we're auditioning guitar players. And I was like, what's going on? Like, Zach is on this tour, like, right here. Why is he Ozzy auditioning other guitarists? And I mean, I, I thought it was, I don't know, it, it took a lot of, uh, I, I, 
I didn't dare to even like go and knock on the production office to leave my CD, but I just did it one day. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'll just do it. Yeah. But nothing happened. You know, I, he was back in the band. They did like another album. And like out of, out of the blue, like four years later, I just got an email. Like I had no idea what was going on. I wasn't even in touch like with what Ozzy was doing. Was he doing another record? Was he doing, I, I didn't, I didn't know. By that time I was well into my own thing, you know, and doing firewind tours and things like that. So to get an email like that out of nowhere, it was, it was shocking. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. I, I want to get into all that, but, but, uh, but before we move off the Ozfest thing, did you have, was there any sort of communication or interaction, uh, with Ozzy at all during Ozfest or not really? No, 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 no. That's why I'm saying it. I thought it was weird because I, I didn't meet anybody. I didn't know anybody. Like I, I don't think anybody, I mean, nobody like contacted me like after, after I dropped off like my, my music at the production, I was like, nobody came back to me. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah. So, uh, I, but I think like during that tour, they also said that, okay, like those auditions are there. They called them off. That's a weird I don't know situation. if there was some kind of falling out or I, I, I you know what? I don't know what, what the hell was going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually you get that email, you go in, uh, this is 2009. You go into audition, you, you, uh, start jamming yeah. the songs with, uh, with just the band. Ozzy's not there at this point. Eventually, uh, he, he comes in. Does the pressure really kick in at that point when Ozzy shows up or, you know, since you had already been jamming with the rest of the guys in the band, are you kind of already a little comfortable kind of locked in with, with those guys? And, and so, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty comfortable moving on with, with Ozzy in the room. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the fact that they gave me my time to just run, run through the set a couple of times with the guys, I think at that point I was really nervous before that, but after that, like after I dialed my, in my tone and I played the songs, I, I that's when I realized, okay, I think I got this. I think, you know, I, I think I can do this. I can handle this pretty well. And then Ozzy came in, of course, it's like, you know, you're starstruck because, come on, I never. Sure, there's the Prince been of Darkness. The same right room there. with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I've never been in the same room with him, and like in a private room like this, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? But, um, but he was cool, man. He was just, you know, he just did his vocal warm ups in a room right next door, and then he came in. And he's like, okay, let's jam, and it was fun, you know. It was it was cool, but I felt I felt good about it. I felt comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, and didn't you say like after uh, six songs uh, or something, he turns around, he looks at you, and he's like, "You're fucking great, man." Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he did that. Yeah, he, he turned because because he didn't say, he rolled through the songs like back to back. There was no like breaks in between. Like, oh. like as soon as the song finished, he, he would just call like "Bark at the Moon," like "Should we go to the next one?" And then as soon as that ends, "Crazy Train." Like, like he didn't say anything. I think he just. He just didn't, he just wanted to test it all out. And I think he probably liked what he was hearing during that whole thing. And then at the end he goes, you fucking great, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, what an incredible thing to hear from, from Ozzy. Oh. So after, uh, after you guys get done jamming, uh, he and Sharon go into a, a, a room, uh, a separate room from where you're recording. And I, I'm sure you're just, uh, or rehearsing rather, I'm sure you're sitting there with what was uh, extreme anxiety and Tommy Clufettos, who was just a fill-in at that time, I think he was filling in for Mike Borden, uh, he looks at you mm -hmm. and he's like, you got the gig. And you're like, what do you mean? They're not, they haven't even talked to me. And he's like, what do you think they're talking about? What, what's going through your head when he's saying that to you? I mean, are you still like, uh, are you feeling pretty good? Like, oh, I, I got this in the bag. Or are you like, I don't know, man. No, I, 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 th if, I think that the, the, 
that uh, that thought just crossed my mind as soon as Tommy told me that. Because at that point, I was like, okay, well, that's it. You know, that's and that's that'll be my story. You know, <laughs> the, my that that'll be the cool story that I'll tell my friends back home, and that's it. But um, but then when he told me that, like, you you probably got this. Like, why why do you think they're in there talking now? And that's when I locked hit me and I was like, oh shit, probably something's happening now. Well, and then and, you know, your, your first gig I was with, nervous. <laughs> your first gig with Ozzy was at the BlizzCon, uh, which is a, a, a gaming convention, which is certainly an interesting first gig. And I'd have to imagine that given that it was, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more of, of an informal setting, not like an Ozzy headline show, I would imagine it's got to take some of the pressure off of, of you know, being in something so big at the time, uh, you know, almost like a, maybe like a relaxed warm-up show since it was part of a convention. Yeah, not for me, man. No, <laughs> like because it it just happened. No, because it just happened to be uh, on pay per view as well. So, oh, no kidding. So there's a lot, a lot of people, people who watching. are watching. Yeah, wow. And 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 I think it was like at least like six or seven thousand people in that room. It was not like a small room. It was like a big gig. Plus the pay-per-view, like nobody told Ozzy that it was being televised because I think he would have gotten stressed about it. Wow. No kid. That's uh, I didn't, I didn't realize it was on pay-per-view. Um, so mm -hmm. when, after that, when it goes, uh, when it comes time to record the scream album, uh, everything had already been written, the guitar parts by, uh, Kevin Shurko, the producer, except for the, uh, acoustic intro on, on, uh, digging me down is it is it frustrating that you know aside from playing on the record when you are a part of something as big as ozzy that you weren't really able to uh contribute anything uh to these songs or are you just like fuck it i'm playing with ozzy man i don't give a fuck i mean you can look at it like that if you if you want to be like that but you know you have to just look at the positive also sure, like, of course like I, I get to be on this album and play the guitar so i don't i honestly i i, I never really cared about i think more i think other people cared more about that fact than me because <laughs> sure. I, I hear that every now and then like oh it's sad he never got to do an album where he he wrote stuff with him from scratch i'm like yeah okay whatever yeah it, it's sad that i'd never uh, got to write a uh, crazy train either but i wasn't born then <laughs> so like like you know you, you have to focus on you have to keep the things that actually happened and the opportunities that came uh, and not the things that didn't happen or the what ifs you know like i don't really i never really cared much about those things well i think uh, yeah, i care about I, I care i care about this the stuff that is there the opportunities that are there in front of me and sure. what what's the best thing that i can do for it yeah well i know that that you uh i think you had said before that you and the rest of the band had uh, kind of worked through a handful of songs just during rehearsals on the tour uh, obviously you know they didn't turn into anything but did any of the songs that you had written during that time end up turning into anything you ended up putting out with firewind or, or uh, on a solo record or anything yeah like a bunch of that stuff well ended up on my first two solo records oh no kidding. three solo records yeah because i'd written a bunch of riffs for him um for what was going to be a follow-up to scream but you know he was that thing just got cut short because he he went back to sabbath and he was busy with them for like the next three years so i still kept playing with him but it was more like sporadic gigs here and there like whenever he was on a break from sabbath we would do like a short run in south america or some, like a festival here and there in the states or whatever um but you know at, at that point like the 
the idea of a new album. It, it was not really in the cards. So eventually I, I just collected my material and some of it got used to it. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of songs on, on an album of mine called Brand New Revolution and on the Fearless album, the solo albums, I mean. that Yeah, some of those songs ended up there. When you're a part of, of something as massive as that was, is the pressure really on for you now that you're being compared to, you know, legends like Randy Rhodes, Jakey Lee, Zach Wilde, stuff like that? Um, or are you just kind of like, ah, just kind of stay in my lane and just, and just uh, roll with it? I mean, there's always... You always feel that kind of pressure, of course, from the outside and people will talk and you have to kind of make a choice how much of that you're going to take into consideration, how much of those comments and opinions you're going to read. Uh, or even if you do read it, it's up to you how much you're going to believe all that. Sure. You can believe that you're the, you can believe if you want that you're the best if somebody says so, or you can believe that you're the worst as well. So none of these things are, is good for your for your ego or for you know to, to do it because it's not good to think it's not good to think that your shit doesn't stick but it's also not good to think that if somebody says you suck like you know don't take that too personally either so like i i never cared too much about it and like i of course you know the, the ghost of guitar players past was always there and and it's definitely a heavy position to, to be in um but you know, you like it's a challenge, and and I thought I I decided before I when I got the gig, I'm like, okay, I am going to do the best that I can given the circumstances. Uh, even though I'm totally to a total stranger to this world, I've come from the my background was just having my own band and writing my own music. I didn't know anything else. Um, so I said, I'm, I'm going to do the best I can, and and um, and let's see what happens. You know. It's it's just once in a lifetime opportunity. So, and and as Kevin Churka put it once when we were in the studio, he, the producer he said to me because I said he said he said to me, no, I think I said like I'm probably gonna go down in in history as like the worst guitar player that I've ever played with. <laughs> and he said, yeah, maybe maybe you will. He said, but at least you were one of them. So. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, there's a million people, uh, mil more than a million people that would have loved to have that gig. Um, but yeah. to that to that point, when you did the Ozzy and Friends tour in, in Europe in 2012, uh, that featured Zach Wilde as a guest, is it is it weird playing mm -hmm. uh, you know playing his songs with him uh, right there uh, in, in front of you? I think he did his own stuff like that when when he did his uh, he, uh, the material that he wrote with Ozzy. That's when he was a guitar player and then in the end we kind of all went out and jammed on a couple of songs i gotcha okay so you so so you guys weren't all on stage together the, the whole show we not the whole show um i can't remember exactly but i think slash would come out for a couple of sabbath songs and we were there together wow and then we and then we would go out and then zach would come out to, to play like a I don't know, like mom, I'm coming home or something like that. And then everybody would, would go up on stage in the end and we would play paranoid or something. So that's when all the guitar players and everybody was on stage as well. Geezer Butler was there as well. So, yeah. 
after the uh, after the Black Sabbath farewell, and then uh, just before Ozzy's No More Tours Two, uh, which saw Zach, of course, returning to the fold, and Sharon calls mm-hmm. you and excuse me, Sharon calls you and lets you know that they were going to be bringing Zach back as they you know wind things down. Is it is it like a, a crushing blow, or is it something that you would always sort of uh, expected to happen at some point, or at least had in the back of your mind? Yeah, it was it was one of those things that I always had in the back of my mind that you know this is a solo artist, and eventually he might just want to change the team, he might just want to change the lineup, and you know, given the fact that he's heading for like the final, the final ball. The final, the final bow, it's called, or bow? Yeah, the final bow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the final bow, yeah, bow is a different thing, yeah. <laughs> As he's heading towards the final bow, and he's done the farewell tour with Sabbath, and then the next thing is the farewell uh, solo tour. Yeah, I, I I knew that, you know, something like that would probably make sense, and um, it's it's not one of those things you should take for granted, you know, like when, when you're – when you're like a, a, a side man for a solo artist like that. So, sure. well, you, yeah, re- to me, it was like, it was just something that I, it was just something that I, you know, I, I thought eventually would happen. And, uh, yeah, well, I think I got the most that I, that, that I could have out of that gig. Yeah. Well, you've kind of been in the news uh, a little bit recently because, uh, the, the other day in another interview, you mentioned that, uh, you, while you were with Ozzy, you received, an audition or an offer to audition uh, with with Megadeth, which I guess this would have been uh, what 2014, 2015, in between uh, what Chris Broderick and uh, Kiko Larrero, I guess. Uh, was that the mm-hmm. right? Is that the right time period? About 14, 15? Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, um, yeah. The clickbait stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that's what matters. <laughs> the what ifs. Now, because I've been, I I keep getting asked that thing like. Did, did anybody else call you? Like I've, I've heard that, and I, I never really discussed these things. But uh, I think the other day I just like, yeah, you know, I've gotten a, a couple of offers, something through, you know, through the years. Well, not offers, but you know, this was like, uh, you know, back then what happened was Dave Ellison gave me a call, and he was telling me that, um, Chris was stepping down, and they were looking for, uh, for uh, somebody to come in, you know, and replace him. And um, he said, "Would that he he knew?" I said, "I I know you're with 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 Ozzy doing this thing, and so I don't know if D- David David Ellison was like his role was to s- scout and guitar players and talk to people and see who was available. Maybe that's what it was. It was just like early stages. Like I I never got to talk to management. I just spoke to Ellison directly, and because um, I've I've been buddies with him before, and um, and I I, I was just like." getting ready to do a, a South American tour with Ozzy and Judas Priest and Motorhead, the Monsters of Rock tour. And and there was talks about doing more things. And I was like, well, you know, I love Megadeth. I'm a huge fan, you know. Um, but uh, it will probably clash with if, if this continues or something. And uh, yeah, I, I think, I don't think like mentally I was ready to just jump ship, do that and so that, that that was a discussion that just basically you know didn't go anywhere, and he knew, yeah. So when when uh, excuse me when Kiko left the band a few months ago, did they uh, reach out to you again, or, or was there never any any conversation? Um, <laughs> so um, 
actually, I spoke to Kiko a little bit, and he already had the demo in place. And he was asking me, like, Kiko was saying, like, well, like, <laughs> do you have a visa or something? Like, if, there might be, if there's any problems, I think they were looking for somebody that might be, like, some kind of a backup thing, you know, uh, oh, in case wow. it doesn't work out, like, or visas don't work out or passports. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't have a visa. No, I'm not right now. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if there was, like, I think I had some other gigs scheduled, and I think Temo was, Tem Temu was already in place. And, um, but yeah, me and Kiko have been buddies for a long, long time, you know, almost 20 years. And, uh, I think he, he's, he was, he, he found the, the guy that was going to fill in for him. Who's incredible by the way. Yeah. I haven't seen him live with him, but I've, I've seen footage and, uh, yeah, Tamu is, uh, that dude's a fucking monster, man. Oh yeah. 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 Incredible. And he fits, he fits so well in Megadeth. Is is that a, a situation that whether it's Megadeth or anybody is that I know you said before that you're not really sure that you're really the hired gun type of guy. I mean, is that something you would ever uh, consider if the offer was right again, or are you uh, you pretty comfortable just doing what you're doing now? These these things really depend on where you are and what you got going, and you know what I mean. Like all these things always depend. Um, for me, at least, and, and at this point in my life right now. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, like, I, I plan my, my, my schedule ahead a few months always. So like if somebody called today, I mean, I don't know, like it, it really depends, really depends who it is, what the, what the description of the job is, what they need and for how long and who it is. And, um, and if it's something that I can, I can do and, and like, you know, if somebody's looking for a permanent member and it means that I have to quit everything else that I do, then it has to kind of like make sense for me. Like I have to really sit down and think if it's, you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, and you got a, a, a so, 20 plus year legacy already with, with firewind. I mean, that would not be a, an easy decision to make. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's always like that question, you know, firewind is not a big band or anything like that, but, but it's a band that you know we, we have work to do and we get work we get offers to play and we can make records and you know tour in a smaller scale but we can do it and um yeah we don't lose money thank god <laughs> <laughs> so so like and it's something that i've been building for like 20 years uh, but uh, this is this is my this is and i also manage the band it's like my day job so i i'm not sure like i would be ready to just leave all that you know for for just anything but i don't know man it's 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 just like a such a multi uh what's the word multi um levels type of i got gotcha. it's, it's a complex answer sure it's sure. a complex answer for me like uh, it's not like i can say yeah i would do something like that or i wouldn't you can never say never in life that's one thing i learned um but there's there's all kinds of technicalities and more questions to that matter so um uh, i know you're trying to get some news out of me about this but no. <laughs> <laughs> no man i'm just trying to have a conversation with you so uh the uh yeah it's all good man the, the other uh the other band that you had mentioned that that did reach out to you uh to audition i believe was uh machine head 
um, which I think that uh, you said was in, in uh, 2019. So I guess that would have been after uh, Phil Demel left the band. Was that something that, that you had, mm-hmm. is that something that you had uh, considered? Uh, I mean, I feel like Gus G and Machine Head is a bit of a, uh, a, a not a weird fit, but it's uh, not something that would be uh, expected. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I also like Machine Head, I have to say. Of course, you know, I, sure. My, yeah, it's a fucking killer band. And, uh, and, and I know Rob and, and, and Phil as well and the guys. And um, not very well, but we met a few times. We hung out a couple of times. And uh, they're super cool. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that whole thing came out. Like, I think uh, Machine Head was going to come to Greece and do a, a show. They had a, a tour planned. And we were talking about maybe like going up on stage and jamming a couple of songs, some covers or whatever. And then, you know, um, I don't know, like the discussion went like, how about like doing this tour? Um, but yeah, would it be a, a good fit? I, I'm not sure, you know, uh, I'm not like a thrash guitar player. Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Anyways, yeah, and then and then you know, and th- and then again, I was like in a totally totally different phase in my life. I was getting ready to, to do like some firewind stuff and all that. So, yeah, and I think actually a few months after the world shut down. Anyways, like everything got canceled. Anyways, pandemic. Yeah, what a rough uh, few years that was. But now at this point, you're, yeah. you're pretty full speed ahead with uh, with firewind. But you know, of course, like we mentioned, you put out a few uh, solo records over the years. Do you have any plans uh, following the the firewind? Uh, record and, and tour to, to do another uh, solo album? It's not in my uh, immediate plans because I want to see how far this album can get us. I want to see how much we can tour with this. Uh, we're already discussing like round two. Like we already planned the first the first leg and we're discussing round two for the fall. We'll see where it takes us. And, uh, you know, once that thing winds down, then I'm going to think of what my next move is going to be obviously you know uh, being a part of ozzy brought a lot of awareness to your name but did it do anything uh to to help raise the profile uh of firewind or not so much i'm not sure about that uh it definitely i think it definitely helped the the brand firewind to make it more like international if you like sure um i think a lot more people just knew of the name like the next day, so to speak. Uh, I don't think it uh, necessarily brought too many more tickets through the door uh, or record sales, but I mean, who sells records anyways nowadays? Um, no kidding. But yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, I do see, I do see and I do meet fans that come to the shows that, you know, they found out about me through Aussie. And uh, it's always interesting to hear the, the story in the background of, of fans, how they first heard about you or your band and, what turned them onto your band. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it definitely helped. You know, I, I cannot say it didn't help. It definitely helped. Sure. Well, obviously you've got the new record coming out here in a couple of weeks, uh, a ton of tour dates all over the world. Uh, anything else we need to cover as we uh, wrap this one up? Um, no, man, we're coming to America in April. And so I hope to see people out there. Yeah. This will uh, you know, be touring with edge of paradise and uh, immortal guardian. Your last tour here was with, uh, uh, you were supporting Dragon Force, right? With the Dragon Force two years ago. 
And that was like our first American tour with Firewind in nine years. So that was a long time, <laughs> wow. a long gap. Um, but, you know, the band had already been on, like also been on a hiatus for a few years. So that was the reason why we didn't play America for such a long time. Well, I think uh, so, all, all of the dates are uh, available on, on uh, Firewind's website uh, and probably uh, your own as well, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, everything is up online, you know, on our socials, you know, the, the website, our Bands in Town page, you know, you can find all the exact dates and the tickets and all that stuff. And yeah, we're going to be doing 20 cities. So hopefully we'll see a lot of you people out there. Uh, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Well, make sure you check out the brand new Firewind album, Stand United, when it comes out on March 1st. Uh, Gus, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really, really uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Have a good one.